Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. Joining me one more time, former football coach in the Granite State, Mike Lockman. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing great, Joe. Good evening. Uh, as always, uh, you can send us questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at nhhsports. Uh, you can listen to the show every Tuesday morning at nh-highschoolsports.com. And once again, I'd like to remind everyone, uh, the Ninth State Sports Show is proudly sponsored by Greenblatt and O'Rourke PLLC. Founded in 2017 on the belief that the partners were stronger working as a team, the offices of Greenblatt and O'Rourke specialize in criminal, family, and business law, along with estate planning and litigation. Seth Greenblatt, Jim O'Rourke, Jeffrey Audland, Marilyn Rodell, and Laura Dudziak take a collaborative team approach in representing their clients. With offices in Contacook, Milford, Plymouth, and Peterborough, they are available to work with you on your schedule. To con contact Greenblatt and O'Rourke, call 603-746-1330 or visit golaw-nh.com. Well, we're uh, one week closer to uh, the end of the high school football season. Um, and in that, I think, <laughs> saying that, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, we might have been a little scared. Um, but I think at this point, we're, we're feeling pretty good, you know, that, that we're approaching uh, two championship games this weekend and, and a couple of semifinals in, in Divisions 1 and 2. Um, I mean, can you believe that we're, we're at this point? Yeah, it's like we said last week. It's it's it has a weird feeling to it, just because the season was tighter. Um, but you know, once the playoff starts, you kind of forget about all that stuff. And I, I think all of your, your your focus, whether you're a fan or a player or a coach, all your focus is just on you know that single elimination mindset of it's winner go home. And uh, I, I do think that the the, the playoffs seem to have a little bit of a different feel to them this year for a number of different reasons. But I think, I think the big thing is really um, the gratefulness that these teams have to, to, you know, be at this stage of the season and, and to have survived. I don't mean by record, but I mean, by you know, n not having to bow out of mm -hmm. football. Um, and I, I think they're grateful for any games they get to play. And so I, th I think it's really, kind of made an impact on a lot of these teams and you know they're going out there and playing with a lot of heart from what I saw this weekend and taking nothing for granted so I think I, I think it's it's it was a fun round last week from what I saw yeah it started out definitely started out uh not not so much fun hearing that um you know three games were getting uh three teams were, were having to drop out um you know going into Friday I think St. Thomas was the first one you know they dropped out and, and Timberlane advanced to the semifinals in D two, uh, and then probably the one that was most surprising you had um, later in the day on Friday was was Exeter dropping out and uh, it went a kind of advancing to the D one semifinals and then uh, Saturday morning getting up Saturday morning and seeing news that Winnesquam in in D three had uh, done the same and Stevens then moved on to that that championship game so. Definitely some uh, kind of, I, I guess, kind of mixed emotions or mixed um, feelings there, you know, because like you said, we're getting some really great playoff action here and then, um, but, but we're not getting all of it. And, and that's, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, but I mean, I mean, again, it's, it's the times that we're, we're living through right now. Um, and, and glad, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just, I, you're right. I'm, I'm glad, you know, as a, as a fan and, and someone who covers high school football, I'm, I'm just glad that we're getting to enjoy some of it. Yeah, and and I mean the amount of disappointment that must have taken place on 
both teams, right? If, again, we talked a lot about Exeter last week. Um, hopefully we didn't jinx anything for them there by doing so. But I, you know, I, I think I chewed up a little bit of airtime talking about Exeter and being interested in the, you know, sort of the momentum that they'd gathered since their, their rough start. And, you know, you know that, although I'm sure Winnicott is very pleased to be playing this week, they must've been disappointed too, right? That that's a rivalry, but you feel bad for your brothers across the line, uh, across the town line that, that they couldn't even play and come compete against you, you know? Um, uh, so in all those cases, I'm sure there was disappointment, even for the teams that ended up advancing that they didn't get to test their medal against, um, you know, a really good respected opponent in that first round, but grateful to be moving on, but bummed that they didn't have the chance to play in that first round. I'm sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it um, it affects them too going into this. You know, any of the teams that didn't play last last weekend, be, you know, because of that, uh, because of forfeits, it'll be. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it affects on the, the on the field performance. You know, are you are you well rested? You know, not that there was a ton of. You know, it wasn't a normal lengthy regular season, but you're still playing some games. Um, you know, so it, are you in a, maybe a little bit fresher or are you a little, you know, a little rusty from having a week off at a time that you normally wouldn't have it? I mean, or yeah. if you're having a week off, it means you're done at this point usually. Yep. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, let's start with some of those Division One games. Um, you know, the way they were kind of staggered, we had a couple Friday night games, which was absolutely fantastic in my book. Uh, I love being able to to get out to multiple playoff games um you know so the fact that they were playing friday night was a was definitely a huge bonus for me i got out to see uh nashua north beat merrimack 42 to 12 and honestly um you know i don't know if that score it it, it maybe sound not that that sounds like a close game but it, it was i mean this one was all nashua north uh pretty much from the start you know they got an early turnover scored off that in all i think they scored off of uh four turnovers um and just they were you know really unstoppable um against Merrimack Merrimack's offense had a really tough time moving the ball against North I had them with for the game uh negative eight yards rushing um you know so really just a tough night Merrimack got its two touchdowns in the fourth quarter one on a, a bad snap uh by the Titans after the uh the second and third stringers had started coming in so it was yeah, it was a really tough night for Merrimack. Yeah, and and this game, which kind of tipped off um, the 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 whole battery of playoff games. Right, I know there were a couple Friday night games, I think, but uh, this was sort of the the gem, right? The one that everybody was looking forward to. But it, yeah. it did set the tone for a lot of what happened in in a lot of the other games this weekend, and that was. Um, the winning team's defenses just dominating by forcing turnovers and capitalizing on those turnovers. Mm -hmm. That seemed to be the theme of the weekend. And it was really personified by what North forced against Merrimack. I mean, forget about the stifling run defense, which I mean, you're never going to win a playoff game. I don't care in this age of spread them and shred them and, and, you know, very, very good quarterbacks throwing the talented receivers. You're never going to win a playoff game with negative eight yards rushing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's not a, a criticism of Merrimack's as much as it is a credit to North's ability and dedication to stop the run. But, you know, again, to, to, to force those, um, 
Did they have five turnovers, four that they turned into into points? Yeah, they scored twenty eight points off of uh, off of turnovers. Um, one of them was was one of the most one of the more I don't know I, I don't know if bizarre is the right word, but it was just improbable kind of plays where um, you know Merrimack threw a pass behind the line of scrimmage and. The angle that I was at, I, I mean, I couldn't tell if it was going forward or backwards, but it wasn't caught. Uh, it very clearly hit the turf, and it took a perfect bounce for North. It ended up bouncing right to uh, Toby Brown Jr., who scooped it up. Like, uh, scoop isn't even the right word. It, it bounced and came right into his hands. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he raced with it. I, I had to be about 30 or 40 yards before he got caught, like around the 10-yard line. Um and the announcers, the announcer at the game called it an interception, um, which I'm I'm sure he couldn't see because the play kind of happened, was maybe hidden from where he was. Um, the officials didn't, they didn't signal any. I mean, they didn't blow the play dead. Um, I'm I don't if they didn't see it bounce, I, I really don't see how that's possible. Like it, I was standing a good fifty yards away and I saw it bounce. Um, so I don't know how they, they would have missed that if it hadn't been a, ba- a, a backwards pass. Um, but, yeah, and then North ended up scoring off that. They, that was the other thing, too, was their drives were quick. You know, I think their first drive was five plays. Second drive was three plays. That drive following that, that fumble return was it was two plays. Um, so they put up a lot of numbers uh, on offense, and they did it with a uh, very minimal amount of time with the ball. Yeah, and as and as well as Merrimack had played um, in the run defense uh, dimension uh, against South, um, you know they they gave up 300 yards of offense uh, in the game. I think you had them down for over 250 just in the first half. Um, and, and and you know, let's face it, right? I mean, we talk a lot about uh, Curtis Harris Lopez, but I think you pointed out in your article on the site that there were a lot of Nashua North players that contributed to that 300 yards rushing. Um, They can get the ball into the hands of a lot of different kids who can make things happen. And and I think that can be very, very difficult when you can't kind of zone in on any particular guy to stop. They're all effective. Yeah. um, I mean, and those guys, uh, Jaden Espinal is the, the probably the one first one on the list. Um, But Isaac Smith also has had a big year for them. Brian Mwangi, uh, Anthony Green, those guys have all been, um, you know, huge both in, you know, running the ball. Um, you know, Lucas Cunningham has come up with some big catches for them at times. Um, so has Espinal. Um, you know, but they, the thing that, that, um, you know, North, uh, coach Dante Lorendi said to me a couple times, is just the, the way they block for each other too. Um, you know, no one is, a, is too big to get out there and, and try to pick up a block for a teammate. And it's, um, you know, I mean, that makes them, you know, even better than they already are. I mean, they've already got a, a, a dominant line on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, but when you've got the the skill guys willing to to make those plays too, then it's. I mean, that's that's really tough to stop. That's just as as key as you know having um, guys like uh, Harris Lopez to to make plays. Uh, and and Espinal too m- worth mentioning. Um, he also had uh, two interceptions on de- two of the interceptions on defense. So be really a big game for him. Yeah, that's that's almost an MVP type of performance, and you know, I'm sure those guys. We talked about it a little bit last week. I'm sure those guys were primed um, to not have history repeat itself for the time to have Merrimack come in. That's a that was a tough order, right? I mean, we all knew Merrimack was was 
flying high coming in after the big win uh, the previous week against South. But we also knew that North was very, very good. Uh, you know, admittedly a better a better team than South, top yeah. to bottom, and that you know <laughs> that they emotionally and from a motivation standpoint, I. I it was going to be a tough order for Merrimack to pull that one out. You wouldn't put it past them, but that was going to be a tough one with the way I'm sure North was motivated to not have their third um, oh, yeah, third, run in a row ruined row, yeah, by the Tomahawks. Um, yeah, you know, it, it got um, – it was 21 nothing North with about four minutes left in the, uh, in the first quarter. And um, Merrimack went three and out on the next drive. North gets the ball back, and two plays later, they lost the fumble. Yeah, uh, at midfield, and I thought, oh, 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 you know, Merrimack did. It was twenty nothing last week when Merrimack came back. You know, they had, do they have North right where they want them? Uh, yeah, you <laughs> sent me a text that said, <laughs> said okay. I Merrimack remember. has North right where they want him. It's twenty one nothing in the first yeah, quarter. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, that was no, certainly not the case. No, um, but uh, it was a good. <laughs> it, well, of course, it cra- yeah it crossed my mind when that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, and then on the other side uh, of that that part of the the Division One bracket, um, probably, I, I mean, I'm I'm guessing the game of the week. Um, you know, in the playoffs, you had um, Salem beating Londonderry twenty-one to thirteen in a game um, that was not quite as high scoring as a lot of the other ones. Uh, but like you said, turnovers played a huge difference in that game. Um, Londonderry moved the ball up and down the field, and just Salem's defense bent and didn't break, um, had a number of turnovers. And then, it, you know, on the last play of the game, they made a goal line stand to keep Londonderry out of the end zone and, uh, and advanced to the semifinals for the fourth year in a row. Yeah. And, and, um, that's about the game that we expected. I think, you know, we talked a little bit last week about, um, this being a little bit of a rematch, right. And, but but we had also talked about how much that I think Salem had progressed in in the later part of the season, and you saw those quantum leaps happening with some of these teams again because because of the lack of the preseason. Um, a lot of teams find their identity in a season like this one, kind of mid-season. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, a, a really great game, which again came down to turnovers and defense. Really, it was the big difference, right? I mean, it's like I said, that was sort of the theme of the weekend. And certainly the, the last play with uh, David LaBelle making the, you know, kind of the play of the game to save, uh, you know, save a, a go-ahead or at least a tying score yeah. um, on the goal line is huge. You know, and for, for Londonderry, um, you know, of course they were undefeated champs a year ago. Uh, but you go back two years to, to the 2018 season and, their season ended, uh, unfortunately, the same exact or almost the same exact way against Pinkerton in that quarterfinals, getting stopped on the goal line there. That's uh, a, you know tough tough break for them. Um, you know, seeing that happen again to a, a, a division rival, uh, and you know what what's kind of interesting, it sets up a, um, a semifinal game here between Salem and Nashua North. Uh, they'll play on Saturday at one uh, at Stello Stadium. Uh, it's the first time that they have met in the playoffs since the division one championship game in 2009. So yeah. And I remember that game. Yeah. Um, Salem won that game on a, uh, remember correctly, a, um, almost kind of a hail Mary kind of play. Um, not that it was at the end of the game, but it was, I didn't want to say it was like a fourth down 
uh, deep touchdown pass um, that won them a close game in that one. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to think because they've both been pretty good teams since yeah. then. But but I, I think just because of the way things have aligned, they haven't had a chance to meet, obviously. But, um, you know, it, it's funny thinking about that matchup because, you know, you have one team that has been, I think, steadily superior the entire year, which has been North. And this was probably their most convincing win at least against a quality opponent yeah. uh, that being north over Merrimack and then you have Salem who's been more I think surging in the second half of this shorter season and certainly the win against this win against Londonderry uh, you know generating you know a defense generating five turnovers overcoming the fact that they were almost doubled up in total yardage uh, by Londonderry right Londonderry had yep. 330 to so. 188, I think you had, but, uh, but, but, you know, to overcome some of that adversity, make a really um, courageous and tough play at the end to save the game against the defending champs. So it's, it's a, it's one of those interesting storylines where you say, does this, does this sort of, um, you know, uh, consistently superior team, how do they hold their own against a team that's really been surging the last two or three weeks? Um, and, and which one of those gives, yeah, right? Exactly. Because um, yeah. otherwise they both have very similar styles, right? They play good defense. I, I don't mean schematically, but I mean <laughs> they, they play no. good defense yeah. and they spread the ball around to different guys who can who can run the rock. Yeah, I mean the biggest difference like is just the, the, the formation that North does it out of an, on offense. They line up in that spread offense and, and they run the ball uh, quite a bit. They certainly can throw the ball, but I mean, it, it, Salem has shown at times too that they can, um, you know, if they need to throw it, they can as well. Yeah, yeah. Other than the other than the fact, like you, you said it, you hit it right on the head. Other than the fact that they line up a little differently, they actually kind of go about their business in almost the exact same way. So we're so be, yeah. Uh, that's a, it's going to be a fun matchup. I'm gonna say this this game, uh, you know, with without I, I I'm not gonna. You know, a running clock in this game would surprise me. Um, but, I mean, still kicking off at 1 o'clock with the way these two teams run the ball, it, it could be done by, you know, like 2.30, quarter of 3. That'd be, you know, a nice nice quick game with yeah. uh, without a lot of clock stoppages. Yeah. Uh, so that is, uh, that's one of the Division One semifinals. Uh, Nashville North hosting Salem Saturday at 1 o'clock. Uh, on the other side, You've got, uh, of course, Winnicunit, as we mentioned, um, advanced to the semifinals after Exeter was forced to drop out due to some COVID uh, COVID issues or cases. Um, Winnicunit will travel to Goffstown uh, for a 1 o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Goffstown, uh, after going, uh, actually they fell behind Bedford 7 nothing early in the second quarter of that game. Uh, they come back, score 35 unanswered points, 28 of them after halftime, and beat Bedford 35-7 uh, to 7. Uh, in another game that kind of, I, I don't know if necessarily the final score really shows how close that game was. Um, Goffstown put in a couple of touchdowns late, um, you know, one on a, a pass play late in the fourth quarter, and then uh, with Bedford, you know, kind of desperate and scrambling, they uh, returned an interception for a touchdown. Um but that one was, uh, you know, early on, it, it looked like it was a toss-up. Um, it really didn't swing Goffstown's way until 
you know, they came out um, in the second half. Bed- Bedford tried a, an onside kick to open the, the second half. Goffstown recovers it at the at midfield and, uh, you know, and then goes 10 plays uh, and scores on a, a seven-yard touchdown pass from uh, Jarrett Hanault to uh, Caden Perry, and, and that just kind of got the ball rolling for him. Yeah, and, and, and what am I going to say the story of the game was? <laughs> Um, turnovers again it seems right i mean turnovers (laughs) three picks uh by goffstown yeah and and again in a playoff game that's hard to overcome and especially the way that i think goffstown and and again here's the other theme i guess that's starting to develop the way that goffstown was able to run the ball um you know i I looked at the stats that you had in there for jarrett Hanault. um his his passing stats and his rushing stats were almost even. You had him at 112 chucking it and uh, another 109 on the ground on 20 carries. Yeah, yeah, they ran the – I mean, and they a lot of that I feel like came more in the second half. They started running the ball with him a little more and uh, and found a lot of success. Or maybe, I don't know, you know, with that offense, I guess it's more of a, you know, the quarterback's decision and I guess he just – maybe they, they told him to run it more or he just liked what he was seeing a little bit more, calling his own number. Um, but you're right. Those, yeah, three interceptions by uh, by Goffstown, all of them in the second half too. Um, you know, and then Bedford also had a uh, had a missed field goal late in the first half as well, that um, you know kept it seven seven at halftime. Uh, yeah, and I thought it was funny reading your article uh, that you put on the on the website. Uh, you, you know, you, you kind of pushing uh, Coach Hammond for yeah, okay. So what did you do at halftime that made the difference? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I, I was laughing at the answer he gave you because it, it's probably 100% true. It's amazing how often it looks like the coaching staff goes in for 15 minutes and uh, gets out their test tubes and their beakers and comes up with some big, crazy plan when the reality of it is they probably talk to their guys about, hey, look, we got to do a couple things a little bit better, right? It's a, it's a matter of inches here or a matter of, a, you know, a step here or there clean that stuff up, tackle better, take a better, better angle here. And guys, we're going to run the ball a little better. And, and that's, that's really probably it. Right. And you just remind the guys of, you know, what their foundation is and what you go back, what you're going to go back to. And then everybody gets focused. They come back out and they just, they execute the game plan a little better now that the nerves are gone. And, you know, you've seen the speed of the game, you know, who the guy is that lines up across from you, right. It's not the same as the scout team kid that was lining up across from you all week. And so they hit their stride in the second half. The turnovers certainly didn't hurt, <laughs> but um, you know I'm 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 glad we're able to talk about Goffstown a little bit because because again, you know we've given a lot of attention deservedly to you know teams like North and Londonderry and and uh, Salem this season. But it's like we've said the last couple of weeks, Goffstown is for some reason quietly you know undefeated, and yeah. I'd go so far as to say the same thing about them at this point that I that I just said about North, which is, you know, they, they're consistently superior Yeah, they in terms um, of uh, their performance this season. Yeah, so outside of that opening game against, against Bedford uh, to start the season, they, they've been, um, you know, putting up points and, and beating teams by a couple of touchdowns. Um, you know, go, going back to the, the adjustment thing too, you know, what I, I find interesting is of course th- this season uh, teams aren't allowed to go back into the locker room uh, at ha- actually, I don't think they're allowed to go into the locker room at all uh, before, during, you know, at halftime or after the game. So, 
you know, you've seen uh, a lot of ways, uh, a lot of times how teams kind of handle that halftime situation. Like, what are they, you know, what are they doing? Uh, how do they meet? And, you know, both Bedford and Goffstown, um, seeing them a couple times, are uh, they've got to be two of the teams that take, you know, it, the kids go off on their own, um, you know, into one corner here and another corner there. And they're talking amongst themselves. And the coaches kind of stay on, like, the sideline in, like, a little, their own little huddle for a good, I don't know, six, seven, eight minutes. Yep. Um, and then they all meet up together. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. It's almost, you know, it's it's like, all right, you guys have your moment. We're going to have our moment to, you know, figure things out. And then we're going to kind of come back together and, and, I don't know, compare notes. Or we're going to tell you what to do. Or I don't, I don't know how it works. But. Well, so that's exactly how uh, I used to handle halftime. Yeah. The the team when I was at Sauhegan would kind of go over on the scoreboard side. They had we had our spot, and uh, they'd huddle up in sort of the corner of the end zone there. And you know, captains and position group leaders and stuff. Those guys would all talk, and I'd get together with my staff kind of around the sideline and just say, "Hey, what are we seeing?" What do we need to react to? What okay? What do we need to tell the linebackers about? Boom, boom, boom. Kind of get our story straight is basically what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure that, hey, when we go when we go back to the team, we're all communicating the things that, you know, sort of a unified message. And then we go back and talk to our position groups on both sides of the ball, then you'd, you'd get together as a team, reemphasize the message, and head out. So it sounds like that's a lot of what you're seeing is, is just kind of that same format. Yeah, it's, I just find it, you know, it, 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 it's, you know, to someone who's not in those situations, it's just I find it interesting the, how much time they take these coaches take to, to discuss things with themselves before they actually, you know, start to put in those adjustments or, or whatever, whatever they're doing. Um, yeah. A lot of times it's just a matter of prioritizing what your message is going to be. You know, it's like, Hey, you've got a laundry list of things that you've taken note of or whatever, but it's like, okay, how do you compress that into like two or three key bullet points that you got to talk to the guys about so that they can, you know, they can absorb it, right? You don't want to be too complicated at halftime because that's not gonna that's not the way to get it done. So it's like what are the top two or three bullets and we've all gotta kinda of figure out what those are gonna be so that we don't go in with mixed messages, right? If I'm telling the wide receivers you gotta do X, Y, Z, one, two, three, and the offensive line coach is talking about something completely different and it doesn't mesh, you know, it's like, eh, right, that that was that was goofy, right? So it's it for us it was always about getting our priorities straight and making sure we're all kind of talking about the same things when we go back. So D1 semifinals coming up this weekend, Uh, as we said, North and and Salem, uh, Goffstown and Winnicunit. And and in that matchup, um, it's kind of an interesting one too because they've actually played in the playoffs in Division I before. Uh, If you go all the way back to 2017, the last time these um, the conferences lined up this way for their clusters, it was uh, actually – Goffstown and Winnicunit in the semifinals in Hampton. Um, that Winnicunit won that game and then went on to beat Pinkerton in the in the championship. So, kind yep. of a, a rematch of uh, of that semifinal. Um, of course, in in Division Two, we're also coming up on uh, on the semifinals and uh, Friday night and more more Friday night football um, in the playoffs, which we love. Um, saw kind of um, I saw a couple people mention on Twitter that geez, that sounds like a college game. Uh, you had Sauhegan beating Hollis Brookline, uh, sixty-three to thirty-four, uh, in a game that sounded like, uh, you know, again, you were texting me about this one. Um, 
early on it was like, wow, it looks like Sauhegan's going to get into running time. Uh, this one's probably over. And then to start the second half, it was, I, I don't know, like what, five touchdowns in like 30 seconds or something it felt like? That's <laughs> what it felt like. Uh, yeah, I mean, so to be clear, you were talking earlier about, you know, geez, a, uh, a Salem North matchup might be a nice quick, uh, a nice quick game. Yeah. The Sauhegan Hollis game felt like it was, it, it really did. It felt like a college game I, I, to the point where I was asking some of the people that I was with, was there like a 25 minute halftime? <laughs> how are we still, you know, looking at my watch? I'm like, how are we still here? But, um, once again, right, the, the, the story – so you'd look at that score and you'd say, hmm, well, okay, so there you go, Mike. Your, your theory is, is uh, <laughs> kind of debunked a little bit about defense ruling the day. But uh, it's not the case. Defense was still the highlight of this game for the most part. Now, yeah, Sauhegan's defense gave up, I, I think, more points – in one game than they had all season combined by, by far. <laughs> yeah. But the, the flip side of that is, you know, they generated, I can't remember what it was. I think it they, was, their defense scored more points in this game than they had allowed all year. Yeah. Three, I think they scored touchdowns. four defensive touchdowns. If you count, uh, the, uh, a punt block, returned for a touchdown as a as a defensive touchdown certainly you know that unit is considered a defensive unit it's really special teams but um there was a safety and then i think there were there were three uh uh pick sixes interceptions returned for touchdowns that were just every one of those interceptions were just backbreaker so it was like having your back broken three times a defense and uh and so again you know I guess the, 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 you know, I'm going all over the place on this one. I think I'm just excited that I got to see a game live finally instead of seeing these things on film. But, um, I, you know, if you take away the turnovers that Sauhegan's defense was able to generate, it's a much closer game. Yeah. In fact, it may have been a contested game, especially when you think of the potential point swings that took place. Well, you said you said that, that Sauhegan scored uh, three, returned three for um... – Interceptions for touchdowns. They had a block punt return for a touchdown, correct? Yes. Um, so I mean, did they? I mean, if they made the extra points on those, that's twenty-eight points there. Um, and then you add in the two points for the safety, that's thirty points. You take that away, uh, and they lose thirty-four, thirty-three. <laughs> right. So, I hadn't even yeah, thought of it yeah. that way, but yeah, um, yeah. Now, the flip side of that, in fairness to Sauhegan, is. You know, Sauhegan's offense didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to show what they could do because their defense was scoring like that. Uh, you know, but but I would I will say that uh, you know there was there was one play that they were running to Riley Lawhorn that was basically just a um, like a stretch play, right? Like a like a a long sweep to the to the outside, and they were running it to the 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 Hollis Brookline right, um, so to the offensive left and. I swear they could have run that play every single down if they had to, and they would have gotten 13, 15 yards a pop every time. I mean, it was just, and and I think they probably would have if they had more opportunities to put a drive together. But, you know, between Riley being a great runner 
and you had guys on the perimeter blocking, like uh, Luke Manning is the wide receiver that plays on that side. Hollis just could not stop that play. And any time that Sauhegan found themselves into trouble, you know, you would think, oh, okay, it's it's third and long, here comes a screen or, you know, a deep pass or something like that. They were actually just hitting this outside run to Lawhorn, and it was like a guaranteed huge chunk every time they ran it. They never ran it to the right. <laughs> it was always at the, so they found something they liked over there. And uh, again, I think if it was a, a more tightly contested game, there was no answer for that play. Well, we've got him with um, a Lawhorn with uh, 226 yards on 15 carries, which uh, which comes to 50 over over 15 yards a carry. So I'm guessing, yeah, that if they ran that play on third and long, yeah, they were getting first downs uh, on on a yeah. lot of them. Uh, you know, and then he and, also and on the HB touchdowns. side of things, I mean, man, it, it they opened up with with a textbook drive. Uh, I mean, just a great mix of run and pass, mixing different players in. Uh, Mark Andre Thermitis carrying the rock really, really well. A good sequence of first downs, and they banged that opening drive in. And you said, "Okay, wow!" Against one of the best defenses in the state, this is going to be a game. And it was a game, but <laughs> but they were never able to really put a drive like that together again. They put maybe one other drive together. Uh, to open uh, their their opening drive of the half, um, they I don't think they received the opening kickoff, but their first drive of the second half, I should say, <clears throat> was another almost kind of similar drive to that. But you know, other than that, it 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 didn't go well, right? Their starting quarterback got knocked out at one point, and and uh, even though they were kind of surging to make a a run at Sauhegan, they just wouldn't go away. I think I think uh, too many things lined up against them at the end, and. Sauhegan's defense won this game, but in a different way. They didn't stifle Hollis the way they've been stifling people, but they generated points for sure. I was gonna say, yeah, and it's it's not often that you you have you give up three defensive tu- three touchdowns to a defense and uh, and win a game. So it's yeah, the fact that they were they were in this game in stretches in the second half there is just remarkable. Um, that it didn't feel like it was over, you know, at half after halftime. So I mean that's a that in itself seems like a feat. Uh, it almost never felt like it was over, which is weird. Again, when you when you think about the score, and I, yeah, at the end of the game, it it, it kind of got rough. Like I said, when when you lose your QB, and you know certain things sort of mount on you. But and I, and I don't think that Sauhegan or Coach Bauquette ever felt like it was safe. You know, I mean, yeah. Sauhegan was bringing intensity every series. I think because they saw what was going on and they certainly weren't used to being scored on like that. Um, so in a way, even though the score wasn't as close as you might want a score to be against two good teams like this, the game never really felt like it was a blowout. It always felt like there was a chance for HB to, to, to come back and get that one more score or, or, or get a stop or what have you. So in that way, it was a really fun, well-played game. And uh, of course, that win moves uh, moves Sauhegan into the semifinals, where they will face uh, Timberlane uh, Saturday at one o'clock. As we mentioned earlier, Timber Timberlane advanced when uh, when St. Thomas was forced to drop out, uh, and this will actually be the second meeting um, between these two teams. Sauhegan won the uh, the last week of the regular season on the twenty third. Uh, they beat Timberlane on the road, forty one to eight. Uh, so that was the first meeting I think ever between these two programs and, uh, you get, 
what three weeks later you get the second one so kind of an <laughs> an interesting turn there you know you don't you don't ever play a school and then all of a sudden you're playing them twice in less than a month uh, yeah and i saw some of that game um not live unfortunately but i i caught it streaming and um you know timberlane's gonna have to gonna have to come up with some different different stuff i think if they expect the result to be any different i mean i i think it was a pretty well contested game through the half, but but Timberlane just seemed to kind of fizzle out in the second half against Sauhegan. And again, a lot of that was Sauhegan's defense was just stifling them and creating opportunities. But um, you know, we you know, you and I both know Timberlane's not a bad team. Um, and and I think if they if they come out and feel like, well, here we go again. Uh, we, you know, we got to go play Sauhegan after getting drubbed by them a few weeks ago. It's going to be a long day. If they come out with, uh, you know, some confidence and, uh, and some adjustments to how they played the first time around, it, it could be a much better game this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the other side of the bracket, we had, um, I don't know what I would probably say was the surprise of the, uh, of last weekend's playoff games. Not just that this game was kicked off at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, because uh, I had not seen that happening anywhere. All of a sudden, I get on Twitter, and I'm like, I'm seeing, oh, Bo and Lebanon are kicking off. I'm like, wait a minute. When, when was this? When did this happen? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you had a 10 a.m. game uh, between Lebanon playing at Bo, and uh, the Raiders uh, came out with a 30-6 to win in that one that I admit, I, like I said, I did not see that one coming. Um you know, not to take anything away from Lebanon, but you know, I saw Bo earlier in the year. Um, they are a very physical team, as you you know, as Bo typically is. Um, you know, Lebanon was kind of a hard team to to gauge during the regular season. They they played, um, you know, one game against every division. Uh, they won all of them, but you know, they um, you know they had that one point win over Newport earlier in the year um, from Division Four. You know, they finish out the year with two blowout wins over Hanover. Um, that one was, you know, kind of, you know, how do you judge that one? Because Hanover had been, I think, undefeated up to that point. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, here comes Lebanon, you know, and they win 30-6 to six over a, what was a pretty good bow team. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, did, I can't say that I felt like I had a good handle uh, which is you know the exact point you were just making on the type of team that Lebanon was, but I did feel like I had a fairly good handle on type of team Bo was, and you know Bo had two really quality wins, both against um, Hillsborough during Hopkinton this season, and so you knew Bo was pretty good because you knew Hillsborough was pretty yeah, good. Yeah. But yeah, you know, again, I think I think this was kind of a a matchup of, uh, you know, sort of size and, and power versus just speed. Uh, Lebanon speed, I think, is, is really what the difference in this one was. Um, and, again, it was turnovers. Um, defenses generating turnovers this past weekend was is just, just insane, right? You had Hollis Jones, who not only had five tackles for a loss for Leb, but uh, got a pick. And then you had, um, uh, what's DeCarlo's first name? I forget, but, um, Oh, Justin DeCarlo, um, recovered a fumble and had a pick too. So right there, you're trying to overcome three turnovers. Oh Yeah. And you had, um, I did, did you mention CJ Childs with his, uh, no. had the fumble return for a touchdown in that game, right? 
Yes. Yeah. So I mean, they. So they... you know. So again, <laughs> um, these offenses gonna in the playoffs here are gonna start figuring out that if if you can't hang on to the rock, you know, not only do you lose a possession, but a lot of these teams are turning it into points like that. Yeah. And you know that's a that's a tough thing to overcome, um, and, and it sounded like between the speed, the the defense that Lebanon was able to to play right, it seemed like they knew that letting Bo come right at you was going to be a problem. So they they put together some some things schematically that was going to force Bo to bounce it and get those backs going east west. You know, so I think between having the speed to chase that down, if you can get those guys going east-west, generating turnovers on defense, I mean, that was a pretty good formula this past weekend for for Lebanon. Yeah, and they they had a safety too. <laughs> so they yeah, really, right. Really, just hit the jackpot there on defense uh, with turnovers and the the score. You know, scoring a touchdown, getting a safety. I mean, anytime you get what's that? You know, nine points from your defense. Um, you know, when you hold the other team to six. I mean that's uh, I mean, you, you know, you've you've won that game um, if that's yeah. the final score. Um, so yeah, really, just um, it's it's it, it sets up an interesting game coming up this weekend because uh, of the on the other side of that bracket, you had um, Plymouth beating Kennett fourteen to six in uh, a rematch of a, another ga- a game in the regular season that was also very close. It was a one point win for Plymouth, uh, you know, and that sets up. Um, I don't know if this is that I you know I saw this on Twitter that um, you know they determined who was going to host that game that semifinal by flipping a coin. I don't know if that's right or not, um, but the game you know Plymouth uh, Lebanon semifinal is going to be at Lebanon, which I mean anyone that knows their New Hampshire high school football history knows that um, there are not many teams that go up to Plymouth in the playoffs and come away with without having their season finished. Um, yeah. So I mean, I just that alone getting that game in Lebanon is massive, I think for uh Lebanon. And of course, they were supposed to play during the regular season. Uh and that game had actually been canceled um due to potential COVID uh issues at at Lebanon, I believe. Um so I mean, I I think it's going to be just I I really don't know what how that one's going to go and I'm really curious to see how it does yeah I, I mean there hasn't been a lot of news out of the out of some of these these teams from the north or if there has been I, I haven't been able to access it or locate it I do think that Plymouth has a lot of games that they uh, they film and they have on you can get them on YouTube and stuff so I, I really ought to take a look at some of those just to get a feel for Plymouth but traditionally I would say Plymouth's very similarly built to bow uh, in terms of like they have a really good offensive line, they usually have backs that are uh, very good downhill runners. Yeah, they, you know they can get to the outside like any good high school team can, but they're they're they make their money, you know, kind of running off tackle and inside, and and you know that is what Lebanon, by all indications, was sort of built to stop this past week. So. Um, it, it, it could be, um, uh, it could be tough sledding for a Plymouth team that that's built very similarly. Yeah, definitely one that, um, 
don't know if I could, you know, if we were doing picks again this week, I don't know if I, uh, I'd be, I'd feel confident in any pick I made on that game. No, I think, I think if I knew more about those, those teams, you might be able to, to, to make a shot, but it's hard to say when I haven't even you really haven't, seen, yeah. you know, you haven't seen either one of them. It's tough. Yeah. yeah and, and even the stuff that I've read has been, has been, you know, um, like like picking for scraps, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been a lot of comprehensive information out there on these guys. So, so the uh, the D two semifinal games are also going to be this Saturday at one o'clock. You got uh, Sauhegan hosting Timberlane, and then uh, as we just mentioned, Plymouth going to Lebanon. Uh, in Division three, you've got a uh, championship game coming up this Saturday. Uh, of course. Stevens uh, moved on to that game uh, after Winnesquam uh, had to forfeit their semifinal. And then on the other side, you've got uh, Pelham uh, in its uh, first year back in Division Three, uh, looking for uh, looking to reach or excuse me, win its first championship, I believe, since two thousand and eight, um, when they were in Division Five. Yep. Uh, they got there with a fourteen to ten win over Monadnock in. Uh, by far the closest game that Pelham has had to play this year. Uh, in fact, the 10 points scored by Monadnock, uh, the first time a Division Three team has scored on the Pythons this year. So that must have been uh, a little bit more interesting for uh, for everybody over in Plymouth this past weekend. Yeah, and and you know the the statistically the game was as evenly matched as the score, right? I mean, uh, Pelham uh, had 160 yards rushing. Uh, Monadnock had 117, uh, but Monadnock really had to grind it out. It was it was 117 yards on 44 attempts as a team. Um, so that that's that's some pretty <laughs> that's a bit of a meat grinder. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the interesting stats was the hero of the game for for uh, for Pelham was uh, Kevin Bodenreiter, who who hit an 82 yard run. Um, in the fourth quarter and you know his total rushing statistics for the day were four carries 79 yards (laughs) so it just goes to show you what kind of day it was out there for these teams right the the next highest rusher uh, for Pelham was uh, Jake Hurling who had seven carries for 45 yards and frankly the stats for the Monadnock backfield players were not much different right maybe higher carries but you know nobody cracked 100 yards. You had 81 yards by Justin Jocelyn, who I've seen run a couple times this year. He's pretty good. Uh, and then Aiden Hart had 27 yards. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So another game dominated by defenses. Although in this way, I, I think turnovers probably didn't pay, play uh, you know the same role as in some of these other games. But here it was just it was just tough. You know bloody your nose kind of defense with two teams that can really grind it out. So um, again, another, another uh, highlight in terms of these teams defenses, Yeah, you know, and, and the, this matchup for the final is, is kind of interesting. Um, you know, in that you have Pelham that, that, like we said, their first team, first year back in D three after a couple of years in D two, um, you know, they of course played Milford during the se- regular season. Um, but all their other games against Division Three teams, you know, when they you know win all of them, they're seven and zero going into this game. And then on the other side, you've got Stevens that during the regular season didn't play a game against a Division Three opponent, uh, was one and three, 
with uh, losses to Lebanon and Hanover from Division Two, and then Newport, which, you know, based off some of their scores, I don't know, maybe could have been competitive in Division Two this year. Who knows? Um, you know, and then Stevens had that uh, overtime win against Laconia in the opening round, and then uh, and then didn't play last weekend. Um, yeah. So really, I'm. I, I mean, I have no idea what to expect from them. Uh, when this game starts, I mean, I would, I would. The game is in Pelham, one o'clock Saturday afternoon, so that is um, a pretty good drive for Stevens to to get down there. That's a little bit of a a, a check mark going Pelham's way, um, you know. And they've got a lot of a lot of weapons on offense that, um, and obviously very good defensively. So I, I mean, I would lean Pelham in this game, but you know, Stevens is a, a wild card. Yeah, it sets up a really odd championship game, I think, against, you know, on one side you have Pelham as a team that's been extraordinarily consistent, uh, run the table, great defense, like you said, a number of different options offensively, um, and, and they've they've played the full season, I think. Yeah, seven games, yeah. Yeah, which is, as we were talking about last week, kind of rare. Um, a lot of teams, a lot of teams can't say that at this point still. Um, and, and so, and then on the other side, Stevens is almost, almost an unknown, uh, at least in, you know, they haven't played much in, like you said, in the division, uh, and, and they've missed, um, more than one week, if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't just last so, week, yeah. right? They've missed a couple weeks at various spots, correct? Yeah, they've at least missed I, I one during the regular season and then last week's at least. Yeah, so it, it it's almost a, a tale of two cities here uh, in terms of, of uh, the experience that these teams have had. So it'll be, you know, it, it, it'll be a little eye-opening to see, you know, has has uh, Stevens been able to, to kind of stay at, at top shelf uh, in terms of, resting their legs and keeping the injury bug out. As we just noted, Pelham just went through a meat grinder against Monadnock, but they've also got a ton of experience under their belt that Stevens doesn't have. Yeah. So which one of those will give? That is a good question. Um, you know, when you mentioned, you mentioned interesting finals matchups or, or odd finals matchups. And, 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 you know, we, we also have one in division four. Um, of course they're in their championship game too. Um, you know, we mentioned Newport earlier. They are in the finals after a uh, a forty three nothing win over Fall Mountain. Uh, and on the other side, you've got a, a team, uh, Summersworth, that's coming off a twenty six six win over Raymond. Um, Summersworth played one other game this year, also against Raymond. They were twenty nine to twelve winners in that game. So you've got a team. Uh, oh, and and on top of that, um, Summersworth is hosting the game. So that game is at one o'clock uh, at at the Hilltoppers' home field. Um, so just, I mean, just kind of a bizarre situation all around, where you have a Newport team that um, you know, outside of that one point loss to Lebanon early in the season, uh, really just beat up on everyone they've played, uh, having to go on the road uh, for pretty much across the state to play a Summersworth team that played two games against the same opponent. Yeah, so just I guess this is it's a you know <laughs> would you expect anything else in 2020? I guess is what no. I'm asking. No, you. not from this season. Yeah, it's a, it's another like you said. It's almost a, it's almost as um, as strange a matchup as the Division Three matchup. 
but you know we've we've talked a little bit about Newport on the show this year and that that loss to Lebanon and the victory that they had over Monadnock those were both out of division games obviously for Newport yep. both of those really hammer home i think the quality of team that Newport is now because Pelham who we know is a beast in division 3 you know just just had to squeak out a pretty gritty win against Monadnock. Newport handled Monadnock pretty well. And Lebanon, you know, essentially ran away with it from Bo, and Bo's a really good football team. And, you know, Lebanon barely squeaked out of yeah. the Newport game alive. So um so again it's almost it's very similar to the Division Three picture. Yeah. I think you've got one team that you you know a lot about and then you have another team where you don't have as many data points about them. And so, you know, they could be a bit of a wild card. Yeah, it's um, and, and then you, I, I don't know, it's almost uh, that bus ride, though. You know, you add that in. It's uh, it's a strange element, I think, to this whole thing. Um, and again, it's something we really haven't seen in in quite some time, you know, with with championship games having been played at UNH for I don't know what the last six seven years uh, obviously yeah it's been since 13 yeah. i think yeah so obviously obviously that you know couldn't be the couldn't happen this year with with um you know unh uh not having any sports going on right now but yeah um yeah that adds an interesting element to you know i you know i think can i point out one other thing about Absolutely. uh summersworth you, sure sure you certainly can six interceptions against raymond <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, there was a theme that we could weave through the podcast this time, and I'm not sure whether that theme is, for the love of God, don't throw the ball to the guys <laughs> in the other colored jerseys or or what, but, man, did, did turnovers factor into just about every single game this week? I mean, they always play a role, right? But this, I've never seen a playoff week or maybe even a regular season week that was just so uh, determined by defense's ability to generate turnovers. I've just, I've, I've, I've never seen this before in, you know, the amount of time I've been paying attention to New Hampshire football. <laughs> yeah. It, it sounds almost like that, um, you know, that Newport, uh, you know, all, all they did was shut out fall mountain. They, they didn't really, it doesn't sound like they had any turnovers in that game or if they did, they weren't, uh, weren't as significant, I guess, to the final result. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah, <clears throat> it's like we said, you can't, you know, a, a shutout is nothing to shake a stick at either. Um, so it's it's still it's still a big explanation point in terms of defensive performance. But, you know, we started at the beginning of the year talking about, um, you know, you asked the question um, because of the limited preseason, you know, the, the offenses are always a little bit behind the defenses. Yeah, because of how much timing and uh, precision is predicated on offense, plus the fact that you know you didn't have all your, your your whole summer of seven on sevens and all that kind of stuff, right? So, you know, part of me just wonders a little bit whether some of the, some teams came out trying to do the same things that they've always done in the past, sort of forgetting that you didn't have three and a half months to work on that stuff, right. yeah. you know, and so you you come in. Like I said, you know, I don't know if forgetting is the right word. It sounds unfair, and I, I certainly don't mean to be, but, you know, 
coaches are used to kind of running their offense a certain way. And so you come out, you say, Oh, well, yeah, Hey, you know, we're balanced. We throw the ball, you know, 20, 30 times a game, uh, as much as we run the ball. And you don't realize that like right now, your quarterback may have as t- taken as many reps right now in November with those receivers as he would be taking into the first game of the season. If you count seven on sevens and camps and things that didn't happen this year. It's yeah, it's hard to think of it that way, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's that the, um, it's just not there, the, the reps and, and you can still see it in a lot of cases too. The timing is not, not completely there with a lot of these teams that like to throw the ball. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's you know defenses. Are, I think I think there's something to be said about it. I, I don't know for sure, um, but I think there's something to be said about this phenomenon that we've seen this season about how defenses are playing so well. And there's been there's been so many turnovers, not just this week, but in past weeks that have decided games at key points and things. And I I, I do think there's something to be said for, um, you know, just just a tremendous amount of reps that get lost in the passing game, um, you know, and, 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 and how do you make up for that? Yeah. You, you really can't, you know, there's no magic to finding those reps somewhere. So it plays into the defense's hands a little bit. So it'll, it'll, it'll be fun to see how that plays out this week. And, you know, do, do you know, do, do teams continue to try to do what they've traditionally done or, or, you know, do teams hunker down a little bit and rely a little bit more on their offensive line and their running games to get things done to try to, you know, try to keep that explosion of turnovers from hurting them. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine we're going to see another week like uh, like that in terms of turnovers. But who knows? We we might. Yeah, well, mark your words. Yeah. <laughs> Watch your tongue, lad. You never know. <laughs> uh, so to go run down the schedule one more time, uh, all games Saturday, 1 o'clock kickoffs. You got Goffstown hosting Winnicunit and National North hosting Salem in Division One. The winner of those two games, uh, God allowing, will meet in, uh, the following Saturday, the 21st, for the championship game at a time and site to be determined. Um, Division two, you got Sauhegan hosting Timberlane, Lebanon hosting Plymouth. Again, the winners of those games will meet on the 21st uh, for the championship game. And then the two championships this weekend, Division three, uh, Pelham hosting Stevens and Summersworth hosting Newport. So yeah, we're uh, one week closer to uh, to the end here. It's uh, it's certainly been fun. Any final thoughts to throw in there uh, before we wrap up? No, no. I think I, I kind of summarized at the end there some of the things that I was looking forward to. So uh, you know, I, I wish that they were breaking the games up a little bit more in terms of time. Yes, I do too. <laughs> yeah, well, I know you do. <laughs> you know, it's it's tough when they're all at one o'clock on Saturday. But I mean, I understand. But. Uh, but you know the other side of it is, man, it would be cool if there were a couple of Friday night games or, or even a Saturday, you know, a Saturday night, night game, game yeah. or something yeah. that that would allow you to <clears throat> to break that up a little bit. But such as it is, we'll uh, we'll we'll still get the recap going next week. Yes, we will. We will. Yeah, we look forward to talking to all of you next week. Um, before we go, I would like to one more time uh, just thank our sponsor for the the Ninth State Sports Show, uh, Greenblatt and O'Rourke PLLC. Uh, you know, they are a, uh, they specialize in criminal family and business law, along with estate planning and litigation, uh, get in touch with them. Uh, the number is 603-746-1330, or you can visit them at golaw-nh.com. So I want to give them uh, another thank you for, uh, for sponsoring the show. 
Mike, I'd like to thank you as well for joining me and, and spending the time talking uh, talking some high school football. Anytime, Joe. You know I love it. He is Mike Lockman. I am Joe Marcellina. We'll talk to you again next week.